Ephesians chapter 6, or look it up on your phone. I just encourage you to follow along, see it for yourself, um, see the text, see the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses uh, 10 through 18, and we're going to focus on verse 15 this morning as we've been going through uh, the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. It says this Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God You may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Verse 15, one more time. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for just another chance to gather at the beginning of another week. Lord, thanks for the encouragement of singing together. Lord, thanks for the hope that we have through the old rugged cross and what you did for us on that cross. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the resources that you gave us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that this morning you just teach us through your word, that you would encourage us, that we would have on our shoes of peace. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray you just remove every distraction from us that you would just open our eyes and open our hearts. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I mean, shoes are extremely important and they're extremely important, particularly in times of war in different situations. And there's all kinds of stories about that. I just, uh, Don Moody had, uh, I talked talk to him a few weeks ago, and uh, he had, had family, a uh, great-great-grandfather who I think fought during the Civil War, and they have letters that he had written to his wife, and so I got some copies of them. I think I love history, and I, I wanted to see them, so he sent them to me, and I uh, was reading from them. I was going to read two of them uh, to you. I'm not going to say which side he fought for. You can talk to Don uh, afterwards about that, but one of, this was, um, this is a true letter from a husband been during the Civil War, a relative of Don's, to his wife. And he, he, one letter says, I have a little bad news to write as well as good. A few days ago, we had three men to desert our company. Their names are, are as follows, W.L.D. Broom, A.S. Chastain, and J.A. Watson. Also last night, there were six men deserted from this post belonging to Captain W.N. Broom, Company B. They seek their opportunity to get away there, being a detail of 40 men sent off on yesterday, a Tory hunting, 
The way was open and last night they skedaddled for home. I fear there are others that will do likewise. I am truly afraid the army will be broken up between now and corn planting. But as for my part, I came into the army honorably and I intend, if possible, to get out the same way. You need not look for me at home until I am honorably discharged according to law. Then another one he wrote to his wife. He says, Dear companion, I seat myself to drop you a few lines to let you know that I am well at present, hoping these lines may find you and the children well. I wrote you a letter when we, were, we was at Morriston, Tennessee. We reached this place yesterday evening late after a tiresome march of six days in the dust and heat. The heat was so severe we suffered considerably from the effects of our march. Several of our boys is left behind. Some is sick and some broken down. You never have saw the like of sore feet in all your life. Our officers say we will rest here until our feet's get well. This is a picture of battle. Two things about those letters in Ephesians chapter 6 is one, he wasn't going to desert the army. He was going to leave the fight honorably. And secondly, to be a good soldier, you had to protect your feet. In Ephesians chapter 6, this is what our call is. This is the situation for us spiritually, all through the Bible, all through Scripture, in Galatians and Ephesians, we as Christians are called and told to walk. Galatians 2.13 says, walk rightly. Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.26 tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. Ephesians 4.1 says, walk in a worthy Matter. Ephesians 5.15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, to a church, to people struggling in their walk and encouraging them in their Christian walk. And at the end of it, he wraps it up with this metaphor, this picture of the armor of God. It's a picture. It's an illustration. He was probably uh, tied and chained to two, Ro uh, two Roman soldiers. He'd seen Roman soldiers everywhere. He knew also knew Old Testament scripture, and he knew Isaiah, where it talks about the armor of God, and he had this picture in his mind, and he's trying to think, how will I, what's the best way to wrap this up for this church and for these Christians? And he thinks of the picture of the armory of God. He says there's, there's these resources that God has given us to help us in our walk. And the focus of Ephesians 6 is on the benefits of the resources and not the battle. If you're not careful, you could read Ephesians chapter 6 and get all worked up about that we wrestle now against flesh and bloods, against these authorities, against the powers of Satan, and forget that Satan is a defeated enemy. He's still out there. He still he wants to destroy us. He, he wants to, to take Christians out. He wants to wipe us out. He wants to knock us down so that you're not standing. But he is a defeated enemy. The emphasis in Ephesians is, is not to fear, but here's the resources that we have to stand so that we can stand up against the attacks of Satan, so we can have faith. That's the focus is that we have these unbelievable resources of God. We can put on the whole armor of God so that we have the strength 
to stand. And the context of this strength is not in some supernatural, spectacular event of your life where Satan really comes to you or the evil one comes to you, but really just in the ordinary days of your life. Because before that, in Ephesians 5, he talks about just your decisions. He talks about how you live, how you even joke. Don't let, uh, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking that named among you. He talks it's about relationships between husbands and wives, about parents and children. It's about how you do your job at work. All these ordinary things of life is where he says, this is where you need the armor of God. This is where the fight is at. So put on the whole armor of God in the ordinary days, on Tuesday afternoons, on Thursday mornings, on Saturday evenings, put them on. And we have the ability to stand in the strength of his might. The struggle with Christians sometimes is we wonder is what is God's responsibility for us and what's our responsibility to stand up for what God has called us to do. Have you ever bought something from Ikea? Anybody ever buy something from Ikea? You, you, you get this great dresser or you whatever it is or something you have to buy and then you get it home and then if you're like me, it sits there for three days because you've got to put it together. <laughs> and you've got to just do all the work to put it together. This is, what God's, this is the way God's talking to us. He's like, we, we, he, you have the armor of God. You, you have it. This is the resource. If you want to stand against the wiles and the schemes of the enemy, as a Christian, you have the armor of God. It, it's, it's given to you. It's a resource you have. But you are called then to to put it on. You gotta put it together. It can't be just like we got some flooring in our house and it sat there for a month until finally we, we did the work of putting it together. If you'd asked me, did you get new flooring in your house? Yeah, I did. Um, I possessed it. Then I had to put it together and we had to get it put in place so that we could appreciate it. This is what the armor of God is for us. We have it as Christians. But we are called to actively put it on. And the Holy Spirit who is God with us, is the one that helps us because our fight is against a great enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in these battles that we face, in the battles that you face, there are desires that come up with the world, the flesh, and the devil, the system, the world system against God that creates desires in us that we need to have in check. And Galatians 5 says to walk in the Spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he says, here's what happens. If you don't armor yourself up, if you're not walking in the armor of God, if you're trying to fight the, the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and just let your desires go, here's what's going to happen. Here's the direction you will walk. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we aren't armoring ourselves 
uh, walking and putting on the armor of God, when these desires come, uh, these unchecked desires, that's the direction it will lead us. It will lead us right into the ditch of life. And so we've been given the armor of God as a resource so that we can stand. And we are called in Colossians, it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You may wonder, well, why would he mention shoes as part of armor? Because we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Has anybody ever, if you had kids who have Legos, you know what this is like. Legos get out on the floor, and if you don't have slippers on, and you're barefoot, and you step on a Lego... Um, you are not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. You, you are all over the place, and the things that can come out of your mouth, and you are, it's because we need to have our feet protected. Soldiers uh, knew this. There's, there's a protection that, we, that comes with having shoes on. A number of years ago, Tommy was uh, little. He was outside in our, in our house in Samanac. We had a little pool for him. I'm sitting on the deck with my shoes off, watching him in the middle of the yard swimming, and all of a sudden, a car came ripping across uh, the corner, blew past the stoplight, and headed right towards Tommy. And he slammed on his brakes. A police came chasing after him. The guy jumps off. He starts running through our yard. I take off behind and instant try to chase him down. But I didn't have any shoes on. And I could just, I got, adrenaline carried me for a while. Then the rocks started to hurt. And I couldn't get as far as I wanted to. But thankfully, the police officer had his shoes on and was able to go all the way and get the guy. This is why and in Ephesians, Paul's very practical. He says, we need to have on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet covered. What's the purpose of battle shoes. Paul would have known this practically. Roman soldiers, when they fought, most many people didn't even wear shoes back then, but when they went to war, they wore sandals. They wore a thick kind of sandal that they would wrap around their feet, and it was very thick. And in the sandals, they would have spikes or nails in them to get grips. It was like cleats. Just like athletes today, they'll change their cleats depending on what type of uh, terrain they're going to be playing on, what kind of field that it is. This is what the Roman soldiers would do, and they did this for obvious reasons. That it needed, you needed to have shoes that you could be uh, able to walk across terrain that's difficult for stability. First of all, when the process of most fights back then were hand-to-hand combat, so what he even says in here, we, are, we, we, we wrestle not. This is hand-to-hand combat. The Roman soldiers would have been in hand-to-hand combat. And if you are not stable on your feet in hand-to-hand combat, no matter how much other gear you have, no matter how skilled you are, if you get knocked down and don't have stability, you're in trouble. Or if you can't climb up the hill, you get halfway up and you start to slide back down. They, they needed good shoes for stability. They also needed it for spike protection. Back then, before we had time bomb, uh, they had landmines, they would, they would just put spikes and sticks in the ground and they would be running and if they would hit their feet, it may not kill you, but it would definitely take you out. And they needed good shoes for speed. Alexander the Great was the one who discovered this, that if he could move fast with his army, 
they could capture the world, which is what he did. He was known for the speed in which he would take people out. And the way they had speed was by having good sandals with good traction. The purpose was for stability. It was for the spike protection. It was for speed. But here's the danger is that you could get cut without shoes. If you're fighting and get your feet hurt, you could have all the armor in the world, but your injury of your feet could take you out. The other problem without having proper shoes is that we can become calloused, even spiritually. Ephesians 4.13 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and to practices of every kind of impurity. Not only is there a danger of having your feet cut if you're not properly shooed, but you have this danger of callous that can lead you very wrong ways. I was in Mexico years ago on a mission trip, and we were in the middle of the mountains. We had this evening service. We'd pass out flyers. People would come. And one night, we're all there. The service had started. And in stumbles this out drunk man who kind of stumbled in. I think he heard the music, kind of rumbled in, sat down, and I looked at his feet, and, and he had, I'd never seen feet like that before. It looked like raw leather on the bottom of his feet. He just constantly went barefoot. He had unbelievably tough feet. They were calloused. But they were, they were calloused in such a way that it wasn't helping him. He, he could just clearly wander wherever he wanted to in drunken stupors over all kinds of cuts, but his, but his feet weren't directing him the same in the right way. It's the same with us as Christians. We, we can be very calloused if we're not careful with protecting and having on the gospel of peace. So the purpose of battle shoes was for stability, for protection, for speed and mobility. Well, what's the point spiritually of the picture? Paul says... And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It doesn't say put on, it says as for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's this idea of put on this preparedness or, be, or the idea of being sure-footed or really this idea of being this nimbleness. This is what it means to be in a Christian. The spiritual warfare and the spiritual battles to be prepared is to, to put on this readiness of the gospel of peace, have a, this preparedness about you, have a sure-footedness about you, have a nimbleness about you. It's not about shoes so much. This is a picture. The picture is to help us with an attitude or to 
help us with a characteristic or the character quality of a Christian is somebody who is sure-footed, nimble, prepared because they have the gospel of peace and they, and they know what it is and they know how to live their life out with the gospel of peace. This is the attitude that Paul's saying. He's like, just like soldiers with their feet protected, this is the attitude. Here's the characteristic that a Christian needs to have when it comes to their understanding of the gospel of peace for the battle. We needed to be prepared with it. We need to be sure-footed with it. We, needed to be, we need to be nimble with it because of the, the attacks of Satan that may come. How, how do we obtain the gospel of peace? I mean, the gospel of peace, it's, it's the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of God. Gospel means good news. It's the good news that changes everything. The, the gospel is what the whole scriptures is all about. It's, it's, who, it's all about who Jesus is, what he's done, and how he has transformed lives. It's the amazing story of the Bible. It's the amazing truth that almost seems too good to be true. That God in his goodness and love for us looked down at us in our sin, in our callousness, in our hatred against him, in our rebellion, and says, I love you anyway, and I'm going to come and I'm going to give my life for you. And for those who believe and receive that, they have peace with God. This is the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the greatest story, the greatest truth ever told. It's first, though, peace with God. It is an objective reality. When we are in a spiritual battle, we need the objective reality of the gospel. Romans 5.10 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The shoes of the gospel of peace is an objective reality that we have to have. People will say, well, I don't believe God. I don't see how God can be good. I, I, I couldn't trust God. They, they hear the gospel and they're like, that, that, just doesn't sound, that just sounds too good to be true. Because if, if God was really good, he wouldn't allow me to go through all the things that I have been going through. But, but here's the reality of the peace of God when it comes to objective truth. It's in verse 8, which says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were, sin we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The reality is that we are natural enemies with God. And if you have not received by faith, the peace of God, because you're waiting for God to show you something that, that makes you think that he should be worth it, you need to, first of all, see that the, the react, the, what you're facing is not just this questions about God. You're dealing with anger against God. You, you're, an, you're an enemy at God, so you can't be at peace with God. You're, you're fighting against God. 
and you're struggling with who God says he is and you're acting as an enemy, you're not gonna have peace with God. But peace with God comes from the good news of the gospel, that what Jesus says about himself is true, that the cross is true, that on the old rugged cross, Christ's death, his resurrection for you takes away your guilt and your enmity against God. God is not against you. You may look at your life now and you're still struggling with this. I don't know if I have peace with God. It's because you're still fighting with God. You'd say, well, if God was really good, he wouldn't have made this my life the way it is. So you're mad at a God that you think is equal with you. If God is God, he's greater than you. He knows everything about life. He knows everything about the world. And he's smarter than you. So if he really is who he says he is and he's God and he puts you in situations that are tough and difficult because of who he says he is in Scripture, it's not because he's against you. Because he knows more than you know. And he's trying to do a work in your life. And the gospel says, stop fighting against him as his enemy and receive him for the truth that he loved you enough and he came so that if we admit believe and confess him he takes us in and we have life and life eternal and that will create in us a desire if you've had that experience if you saw yourself as an enemy of god if you see if you know that you now have peace with god that is that there's no explanation except that jesus christ did it for you and it's for everyone there's going to be a desire in you to, to want to share that with somebody else. That's why Romans says, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. And the good news is, is that you don't have to do anything to be accepted by God. You are his enemy, and he came for you anyway. And if you humbly respond to him in faith, you have peace with God. God that can never be changed. It's the good news of the gospel of peace. And Satan loves to poke at that with believers. He likes to set spikes up. He likes to put them on the ground. He's like, really? You think that you can genuinely believe that you have peace with God for eternity? Look at your life. Look how much you failed them last week. Look at the standard you set up. And, and he, he constantly wants to set that up, which is why we have to armor ourselves with the, the, the shoes of gospel peace. That No, the, this is who Jesus is. This is what God says. Assurance of our faith is possible. And when the attacks come, and you start to wonder where we all do, where, where, is, is it true? I mean, is the story of the gospel true? That the Jesus died on a cross and his death makes it okay because he took my sin on the cross, he canceled my sin, and that makes me acceptable to God? And when Satan says, that sounds so simple, that, that can't be true. It is true. It is the hope that we have, and assurance is possible, and the way we continue that assurance is soak up the truth of Scripture, soak up the promises of what God says, read the Gospels, read the truth. This is true. That therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.
There's a peace with God that comes with God, these shoes that's objective. And there's a peace of God that comes that is the objective and that is subjective. It's, it's, there's, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. If you're struggling with peace, because you're looking at the circumstances of your life and thinking that God says there's no, uh, that, that he's not against me. He says there's peace. I just don't feel it. I look at these struggles and I don't feel peace. This is what Romans 8 is for. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We are called, if you want to have peace with God in a subjective sense with the struggles of your life, let God be God. Let God be God. Let the character of God interpret the circumstances that you are seeing. Don't look at your circumstances and try to interpret how God feels about you based off your circumstances. Look at the character of God and then interpret the circumstances in that way. When you look at the character of God, He's for us. He's not against us. He's going to work all things according to the counsel of His will. So this may seem like a subjective mess going on in your life, but God is at peace with you. Psalm 61, 2 and 3 says, For the end of the earth I call to you, when my heart is faint, the psalmist cried, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. We have to let God be God and interpret our circumstances based off of God's character. Not interpret your circumstances to try to figure out God's character. Then we're resolved to do this. This is what Joseph did when he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was lied about, then he was put into prison for years. He didn't interpret his circumstances and then try to figure out God. He knew who God was. He knew he had peace with God, and through all those tough circumstances, which he hated, he still trusted and looked to God, and there was a peace so that at the end, Joseph was able to say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He, he resolved to not question God based off his circumstances. Daniel did the same thing when he was torn from his family. As a teenager, he resolved in his heart that he was going to follow God. This is what Romans 8 constantly tells us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. When all these things were more than conquerors, for we are sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you struggle with sensing, we all do this, this, this sense of peace with God. Reject the idea, though, that you get to choose the terrain of your life. Reject the idea that if God's really for you, He's not going to make you go through difficult times, or He's not going to surprise you with circumstances. Reject the idea that He can't mix things up, that if He loves you, He wouldn't make it difficult for us. That's not what Scripture says. Reject the idea that that God can't choose the terrain of your life. 
reject the idea that if God changes the terrain of your life, you get to choose to sit down and give up. Ephesians 6 says, stand. When the enemy comes and he says, see, God doesn't love you. Look, at he, he messed up the terrain. It's a lot harder to walk now as a Christian, isn't it? The suffering's a lot more difficult. God must not really be for you. We say to that, no, I, I, I'm going to keep walking because I have on the sandals of the gospel of peace and I can resist. Where I can stand for, for, firm in the faith and we resolve to do this. And it may take a daily resolve. It may take this constant putting this on and, and you wake up in the morning and you say to yourself at the beginning of the day, Today, I'm going to resolve myself, God, to your will. I am yours, and you are mine. And whatever the circumstances happen, whatever changes, what I have is the gospel of peace. I am yours because of what Christ did for me. I have peace with you. Nothing that happens to me today is going to take away from, you, from me that reality. And then we draw from the saints that have gone before us. I mean, history of saints who have been in these tough situations and they held to the sandals of peace. And they lived out the gospel or older saints in our church or even younger saints in our church who are further along to you and, and, and see their life, look at them, talk to them. This is how you resolve to keep on the, the, the feet, on your feet, the gospel of peace. The Psalms of Ascent, these short little songs that the people of Israel would sing as they would go to Jerusalem, they would sing them together. And they, this is how they built their faith through the word of God. This is how they kept their peace when everybody was trying to attack them. Everybody was against the nation of Israel, the people of God. And they would gather and they would sing and they would remind themselves of the truth of who God is. Psalm 125 starts out with, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. There was solid foundation for them. That, they, that no matter what, those who trust in the Lord, they're like a mountain. Their, their feet are protected. He, as if they, it's like the mountains that surround Jerusalem. They would sing this together. They would encourage themselves with these truths of the character of God and would give them great peace. You obtain and you put on this readiness by making sure you have peace with God. And then you live out and ask God and walk in the peace of God by resolving to let God be God. Resisting the lies of Satan and being resolute that I am yours, God, and you are mine. And he is going to carry us through. Get all the great shoes in the world. But if you got somebody's shoes that was great, that's even better. People pay a lot of money for other people's shoes. Who's the person of gospel shoes? In 1989, some of you will remember this, there was a famous commercial that came out about Michael Jordan and Nikes and Air Jordans. And it was, whatever he did, it's 
it's got to be the shoes. He was successful because it's got to be his, the shoes. That commercial was credited for making tennis shoes into the massive, profitable statement that they are today. People pay six, $700 for tennis shoes, all because Michael Jordan wore some, and they made a commercial that said it's got to be the shoes. And a couple years later, they made another commercial about Michael Jordan for Gatorade back in 1991. It says, be like Mike. You know that one? Everybody talks about that around in Chicago. Be like, be like Mike. I got to be like Mike. It's one of the most famous commercials of all time. And it's voted to be one of the most memorable advertisements in sports marketing. It made Michael Jordan seem like this great, nice guy who not only did I want to be like him, I wanted his shoes. But they just did a documentary on Michael Jordan a few, about a year ago, and it appears that Michael Jordan wasn't as great as a person as it seemed. We might not want to be like Mike, but we still want his shoes. Where do we get gospel shoes? Who had the greatest piece of anybody that we know? Jesus lived a life filled with sorrows. He wept, he cried, he struggled. This is how the Bible presents him. But Jesus had the greatest peace of anybody that we know. And in Luke chapter 11, his friend Lazarus is dying. His called to go and they say hey come come find come see Lazarus and Jesus says I'm going to wait because the, the leaders in Jerusalem were out to kill him he knew he was going to be killed the people were looking to kill him the disciples knew he was going to be killed and Jesus finally says we're, we're, we're going to go I'm going to go to to see him and the disciples were afraid and the disciples said Lord if, if we go they're going to kill you and Jesus went anyway and he walked in to the funeral with all the struggles of people knowing they wanted to kill him and the death of his best friend and his sisters all upset jesus with great peace walks up to the tomb of lazarus with all these people watching him and says lazarus come forth in that unbelievable amount of crisis, of struggle, of concern, Jesus walked into that with unbelievable peace. He's the one we get our gospel of peace from. He's the one that promised us in the Great Commission that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We can have gospel shoes of peace because we get them from Jesus who was the greatest example of peace in the midst of the most unbelievable amounts of crisis and concern. St. Patrick was a 16-year-old boy captured and sent to Ireland as a slave. He'd been raised in a church. He'd walked away from his family's faith. But while he was in slavery in Ireland, he recognized his need for the gospel and for who Jesus was, and he came to faith. And then years later, 
when he could have easily retired and spent the rest of his life in peace. He felt called by God to go back to the same people that made him a slave and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did it. And he had a prayer that just talked about the peace of God, which is Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Christ. May your salvation, Lord, be ever with us. St. Patrick, or Patrick, wrapped himself in the gospel of peace and took it to the same people who wanted to destroy him. And he preached this peace, and many people came to faith. We are called to stand and to walk in faith with the shoes of the gospel of peace. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. It's got to be the shoes. No, it's got to be the gospel that we stand in to give us our peace. Are you wrapping yourself in readiness with the gospel of peace?